Thank you, ladies. It takes a lot of nerve to stand up here and sing in front of a bunch of people. And I'm afraid probably for Dan it takes more nerve to stand up here and talk to a bunch of people. However, I'm sure that, and I know that he's willing to do what the Lord has asked him to do. I'd like to read for a call to worship this evening from the 25th, I'm sorry, the 5th chapter of Genesis, beginning at the 42nd, 44th verse. And thus the gospel began to be preached from the beginning, being declared by holy angels, sent forth from the presence of God by his own voice and by the gift of the Holy Ghost. And thus all things were confirmed unto Adam by an holy ordinance, and the gospel preached, and a decree sent forth that it should be in the world until the end thereof. And thus it was. Amen. We'll continue in our worship with the use of hymn number 25.
come to you at this time asking that you would uh, grace us with your spirit, that you would uh, also make it known to us that you are with us. We know that you love us and that you uh, desire to be with us. It's this time I ask for your loving pleasure to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. take my opening scripture out of uh, the uh, Gospel of John, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Gospel preached through the Son, and the Gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made which was made. In him was the gospel, and the gospel was the life, and the life was the light unto men. And the light shineth in the world, and the world perceiveth it not. Thank you. 
family for bringing our special music. For those of you who don't know, the young lady in the jean jacket and the dark hair is my granddaughter and my daughter and my darling wife, and I thank them for their ministry this day. I'd also like to thank my brother Randy and his wife for being here. They made a special effort to be here, and I appreciate that. If uh, at any point I drop out of sight, uh, don't worry, the guys are standing back up and we'll get on with it. Earlier this summer, I decided that I was going to make a project, or whatever you want to call it, of reading through the Gospels at least twice. I thought I wanted to read the words that at least Christ was supposed to have said himself. Of course, each of the Gospels is somewhat different, but you still get a pretty good feeling by reading through it twice. I was hoping to get a little more out of it. But I want to uh, talk to you tonight about Jesus' ministry, his life, and his crucifixion. There's not a great deal to know about Jesus' early life. We know about his 
miracle birth in which a virgin conceived of the Holy Ghost. We know that shortly after his birth, King Herod sought Jesus to slay him. Herod was so jealous of his throne, he eliminated any possible threat to it. When Herod heard that Jesus was called the Messiah of the Jews, he feared losing his kingdom to Jesus at some point. An angel appeared to Joseph in a vision, telling him to arise and take Jesus and Mary and flee to Egypt, where they were to stay there until he brought word because Herod wanted to destroy the child. Herod was so angry because he could not find the child because they'd been... Well, he went and he had the, uh, the wise men had went originally under Herod's direction to find him, and they were supposed to come back by and let him know where he was. And Herod and the, uh, the wise men uh, realized what his intent was, and they went about a different way to return to their location. So when Herod went to, to find him, he couldn't find him. And so what Herod did do to try to uh, shore up his hand, I guess you'd say, he ordered all the children, male children under two years of age, to be killed. After King Herod died, an angel came to Joseph again in vision and told him he could take his family to Israel where they settled in Nazareth. Cut myself short here. Coming so short. Jesus grew up in Nazareth with siblings. Jesus, as far as I could uh, determine, had four brothers and two sisters. Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem every year for the Passover. On their return, they discovered Jesus was not with them. So they returned to find him. He was found in the temple among the doctors, where they were listening to him and asking him questions when he was 12 years old. It was during this time, it was believed, that Joseph taught, taught Jesus carpentry. Learning the trade took anywhere from six, about six years, and apprenticeship started somewhere between 10 and 13 years of age. So if you figure he's 12 years old, that's six years, he's about 18 years old, and that's when he was doing his apprenticeship. And the... Uh, third book of Matthew, the, the, uh, the chapter tells us that after many years, the hours of his ministry drew near. I considered the time there with these uh, years of training when I learned the carpentry trade and whatnot that I'm, I'm calling those the many years that he, uh, he spent in learning his trade. When, when Jesus was learning his trade and practicing it, Jesus must have been known for his carpentry skills. For in the book of Mark, someone asked, is that not the carpenter, the son of Mary? They didn't ask that was the carpenter's son. They asked that was the carpenter. So he must have been known about that area to, to do carpentry work. Jesus began his ministry by seeking out John the Baptist to be baptized of him. And after John baptized Jesus, I'm sorry, after John baptized Jesus, he came up out of the water and the Holy Ghost rested on him in the form of a dove. Jesus was baptized with water by John and by fire with the Holy Ghost. After Jesus was baptized, he was drawn away by the Spirit to be with God 
He, he fasted for 40 days and nights, and after which he hungered. This is when the devil took his opportunity to tempt him. Satan fully understands Jesus is the Son of God. This is shown in Jesus' attempt to kind of needle Jesus. He puts out a, if you are the, if you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. That if that was a little, that if that was a little, little poke, a little stab, just to test him to see what he would do. So we know that our Lord didn't fall for that. We know that he uh, had his response to that. Some thought needs to be given to what Satan used to tempt Jesus. The devil, the devil was aware he had been fasting for 40 days, and the flesh has its needs. So Satan tempted Jesus with food, something to satisfy the flesh. Jesus' reply was more effective. It was more important to feast on the Word of God. Jesus was then taken to a high temple and told to cast himself down because his angels had charge over him, and he won't be injured. This was an attempt to play on. This was an attempt to play on Jesus' pride or his ego. Jesus responded with, "You don't tempt the Lord thy God." What Jesus is telling him here, I think, is he was saying, "Don't be." Jesus is saying, "Don't be so full of yourself, so prideful, so arrogant, so ego-driven that you would tempt God to see if He really protects you." The final temptation, Jesus is taken to a high mountain and has shown all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Satan then tells Jesus he will give them all to him if he will fall down and worship him. And Jesus tells Satan to leave, that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. I'm going to have to drink water. But I'm not nervous. When Jesus responded to Satan, now I'm sure it's just the human in me, but it sounded to me like Jesus had ran out of patience with Satan and he wasn't going to suffer him any longer and told him to get hence. Jesus, after four days and nights communion with God and resisting the temptation of Satan, is ready to begin his ministry. Jesus went forth from Nazareth to Galilee and began to preach in and gather his disciples. He continued preaching and teaching throughout Galilee. He was also healing the sick, the disease, and among the people that believed his name. His fame grew, and the multitudes followed him from the cities around about Galilee. Jesus in his ministry taught the kingdom of God, and the gospel of salvation. Salvation can only come through the only begotten Son. Jesus taught the laws of baptism both of water and in spirit, obedience to the commandments of God, and repentance through Jesus Christ. So much of the Christian world today believes just profess the belief in Jesus, and you're saved. Our Lord and Savior is more than generous to his children, but to receive eternal life, which is the greatest gifts of the grace of all gifts of God. And the reference on that, if you want, is Doctrine and Covenants 1230b. It seems too simple for such a great gift that all i got to do is say, yep, I believe in Jesus. 
and walk off and go on with your life. Keep doing what you've been doing, living the way you've been living. It just doesn't add up to me. To think, then to think what a tremendous price was paid for that gift. Our understanding is different. We believe eternal life is available through Jesus Christ, but comes with some requirements. We must believe that Jesus is the only begotten Son, that He has all power in heaven and earth, that we must repent calling on His name, that He demands obedience to His commandments. Well, this may not be a complete list. It makes the point. More is expected of us than an offhanded profession of belief. If you believe in Jesus, doesn't follow you do the things he asks? John 6, 63 reads thusly. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And out of 1 Nephi 99, 100, Wherefore the Lord gave commandment to me that these plates, commanded me to make these plates for a wise purpose in him, which purpose I know not. But the Lord knoweth all things from the beginning. I shared these two scriptures because I wanted to point out, I want you to understand, that Christ was, from beginning to end, He's always, always been. He could reach out and touch both ends of infinity. That is our Christ. From before His birth, He knew His death. Think of that. It makes it pretty tough to be carrying on your day-to-day tasks and assignments. But for three years, he carried on with, with his assignments, with his ministry, knowing in the end of his work he would suffer an extremely painful death. Do we comprehend that kind of commitment, dedication, courage, and the love required to follow through with God's will? There's only one thing that held Christ on that cross. He had the power to call down legions of angels. One thing held him on that cross, and it wasn't the nails. It was his love. Jesus has reached the first, the last few days, even hours of his mortal life. And still he continues laboring to teach the people. He shares parables, tells the destruction of Jerusalem. He is warned to be watching for that second coming. Jesus never varied from his purpose to fill the will of the Father. Time had come for the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, also called the Passover. And Jesus was desirous to eat it with his disciples. Jesus sent Peter and John to secure a place where they could eat their meal. 
is at this meal that the Lord institutes the sacrament. Reading now from Matthew 26, 22 to 25. And then as they were eating, Jesus took bread and break it and blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is the remembrance of my body, which I give a ransom for you. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is the remembrance of the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for as many as shall believe on my name for the remission of their sins. And I give unto you a commandment that you observe to do things which you have seen me do, and bear record of me even unto the end. The Passover has been eaten, and it was their custom for Jesus and the disciples to go out to Gethsemane in the Mount of Olives. And uh, I don't know why in the past I hadn't noticed this. I've read it before. But until I read the Gospels again this summer, I didn't either see what I was reading. I didn't understand or grasp it. It didn't sink in. I don't know. I can't tell you. But whatever the situation, there came an understanding this time, an awareness of the words that were written. And I want to share these with you. Two separate passages. Listen to these for the pain our Lord was already suffering. I don't know how I didn't see these. I don't know how I didn't understand them. But from Matthew 26, verses 33 through 42, Then cometh Jesus with them unto the place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go yonder and pray. And he took, him, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto the death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. I never caught that before. He was already in the throes and the agony of what he was facing. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I read that, I got to thinking about that. The spirit's willing and the flesh is weak. Was he talking to the disciples, or was he talking to himself? He was there praying that he could be relieved of that duty, of that cup. Was he feeling the weakness of the flesh? It was recently pointed out to me by Brother Joe, I think, Joe uh, Gio. He says, you know, he says, his DNA is half human. He has all the same feelings and frights and scares and stuff that we had. He felt the pain of the flesh. So I just got to wonder, was that, just for, was that for them or was that for both of them maybe? 
find a spot here. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left, and he lit them and went again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And he comes with his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take, take rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is to pray betrayed into the hands of the sinners. And I also want to read out of Luke. It's essentially the same story. It's the verses 39 to 47, so I'm going to read. And he came out and went, as he was accustomed, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he and he was withdrawn from them about his stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, move this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And he, be, and, he and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And he sweat as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come unto his disciples, he found them sleeping, for they were filled with sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleepest ye? Arise and pray, lest ye, let, lest ye enter temptation. And while he spake, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew unto Jesus to kiss him. In the first version of this, it talks about him going back three times to his disciples. And the other one only one time. But it talks about the fact that his agony is so great, his pain is so, so, so terrific, that they had to have an angel come and strengthen him and, and bear him up, if you will, as he went through this trial. Those that held Jesus when it became day took him into the council and they made accusations against him. They bring Jesus before Pilate. He examines him and finds no fault in him. During Pilate's questioning, he determines Jesus from Galilee, makes him subject to Herod, and sends him to Herod. Herod was excited to see Jesus because he had heard many things of him and hoped to see some miracle by him. Herod questioned Jesus, but he answered him nothing. The chief priests and scribes accused Jesus before Herod. Herod's men mocked Jesus and sent him again to Pilate. Neither Pilate nor Herod found any fault in Jesus. To appease the priests and scribes, Pilate was going to chastise Jesus and release him, but they wanted his death because he was a threat to their life. It can't be overstated the degree, of, the degree our Lord suffered for our salvation. How great must have been the anguish of his spirit to cause him to sweat great drops of blood. And I'm going to read really Jesus' own words to you about how extreme and terrific this situation was. And it's found in Doctrine and Covenants 18. I want to read F through K. 
Wherefore I command you to repent and keep the commandments which ye have received by the hand of my servant Joseph Smith Jr. in my name. And it is by my almighty power that you have received them. Therefore I command you to repent. Repent lest I smite you by the rod of my mouth and by my wrath and by my anger. And your sufferings be sore. How sore you know not. How exquisite you know not. Yea, how hard to bear you know not. For behold, I, God, have suffered these things all that they might not suffer for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. But if they would not repent, they must suffer even as I. Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of the pain and to bleed at every pore and to suffer both body and spirit. And I would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Nevertheless, Glory be to the Father, and I took and finished my preparation of the children of men. I don't think I want to suffer any of that. I'm pretty sure I don't want to do this sweat and blood drop thing. He tells us we don't even comprehend how terrifically painful that was. So I'm pretty sure we don't want to find out on our own. All that Jesus did, all that Jesus did, all he sacrificed, all he suffered was done that mankind might be redeemed. Man lacked the ability to remain sinless, being subject to the weakness of the flesh. So judgment could be satisfied. There was a need, a last and great sacrifice. Jesus was that sacrifice, the infinite atonement that paid for the sins of the world. God sent his son to be that perfect lamb for the slaughter, without spot or blemish. Yeah, I'm gonna drink. I'm sorry. Jesus' sacrifice allows mercy to satisfy the demands of judgment and fulfills the law of Moses. It would no longer be needful to sacrifice in the temple. Not only did Jesus fulfill the law of Moses, he gave us two new commandments to replace the old schoolmaster law. We find those in Matthew 22. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. There's work to be done. The message of the gospel must be shared with the world. Will, will that work be done by men standing at a podium? Certainly some will happen that way. But wouldn't it be more effective for you to share your testimony of the gospel with your friends and your neighbors? Chances to hear the gospel come when you don't expect. I was talking with a customer one day who was making deliveries. And somehow we got on the subject of, of, of glory and where one goes to die. He was convinced that heaven and hell were the only two options. So I started telling him about Corinthians 15, where it was, where it was so he could read it, and about the different glories of heaven. Unfortunately, I didn't convert him, but at least he had a new understanding about heaven. 
And may the Lord bless you in whatever message you choose to spread the gospel. Thank you. that you brought to us uh, tonight remind me of a hymn. Um, We have a story to tell to the nation. You know how it goes. You can sing it in your mind. I'm not going to sing it for you. (laughs) But that reminded me of that, the the story and what we have to tell to the nations to bring the gospel, to bring the gospel to those that haven't heard. I wanted to thank uh, each of you for coming out this evening. I see some old friends here. They're not necessarily old, but they're old friends. And I see some new faces also. I'm happy to have you come out tonight. And once again, I want to thank you ladies for your music. And thank you, Emily, for playing the piano tonight. Appreciate it. Let us close and use hymn number 577. 577.
Almighty God, our kind and loving Heavenly Father, we bow before you now, Father, with grateful hearts. We thank you for the marvelous spirit that you have provided for us this day, for the protection and safety of your sanctuary. We pray, Father, that by the power of the Spirit of this Jesus Christ, which we have learned about this evening, by the power of His Spirit, You would create in us the desire to be the doers of Your will on earth as it is done in heaven. And by that same Spirit, Father, I pray that You would heal us, each and every one. Heal our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. I pray that You would heal our families, Father, each and every one. Heal your church that it truly might be the cause of your Zion. I pray, Father, that you would heal the world as many as would be healed, that they too, Father, would be participants in your kingdom. May thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Send us away, Father, with the angels nearby, that they would protect us and guide and direct our every step. We pray these many things in the sweet and sacred name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.